Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The financial exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Paul Lane and Mark Fandetti. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends, plus breaking business news every day. The Financial Exchange is a proud partner of the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. Help us support our great American heroes by visiting DAV5K.Boston and making a donation today. The DAV5K Boston is presented by Veterans Development Corporation. This is the Financial Exchange with Paul Lane and Mark Fandetti. Welcome back to the second hour of the Financial Exchange. Taking a look around at markets, we've got the S&P 500 off about a half percent, the NASDAQ off about a full percent, and the Russell 2000 off about 1.2 percent, and the Dow is slightly up about 18 or 20 points. As we went over during the first hour of the show, been a very busy day here in the Financial Exchange. We went through Home Depot's earnings, which saw a little bit weakness in terms of sales data there. Walmart acquired Vizio, a TV maker for $2.3 billion and came out with a pretty strong quarterly earnings report. Capital One announced that they have a, uh, acquired Discover. That is subject to re- regulatory approval, but that was news as well. And we also broke down some of the inflation data that we saw last week here. Taking a look around at some of the other major indicators, the U.S. 10-year Treasury is off about five basis points at about four and a quarter, and oil sits down at about 1% or $78 a barrel. Can I ask about inflation and economic growth? Those two things are intertwined, typically an economy that's running in excess of our capacity to produce when demand, if you want to think about it this way, exceeds supply. That puts upward pressure on prices. That's the traditional model of the process of inflation. If you had to worry about one or the other, do you think inflation, I feel like Chuck here because Chuck poses questions like this, Mm -hmm. but this is not a trick question. Do you think inflation is more likely to be the worry this year or economic growth likely to be on people, i.e. recession likely to be on people's minds? Which do you think is more likely to be an issue? To me, it would be inflation that I'm more concerned about. So growth that's too strong. Given yes. the economy's yes, potential the, to produce. The, the demand will not wane enough um, yeah. under the current fiscal policy that we have. That That is more of my concern. I continue Could to— expand you expand fiscal policy? So uh, With perhaps, a, perhaps interest rates not being restrictive enough or not having— the desired effect that the Fed wanted them to have okay. in terms of uh, the economic activity that. So, we've what about that? De- you said fiscal. Did you mean deficits as well? Because that's that's an interesting point that, that doesn't come up enough. That that is another piece of it as well. Uh, just 
you know, perhaps at heading to an election cycle, you just won't really see. Well, those. Yes. yes. No one's talking about deficits or cutting spending. Some on the political right are, God love them, but no one is seriously. And they'll probably forget about that as soon as their guy gets in, if he gets in. Easily. Easily. But no one's talking about fiscal discipline for the most part at the at the very top of the national. How How about you to answer your own question? It's a fair. I don't know where I come down on that. I I've always been. Uh, You've been ringing the bell for inflation, inflation for a because long time. I've never seen. I haven't seen underlying much like the seventies, though it's dangerous to draw parallels because it's not going to unfold like that decade did. The problem then was that underlying inflation never really came down. If you want to look at core, i.e., X food and energy. I'm saying i.e. a lot. I don't know why. I never say that. If you want to look at core, which is less food and energy. You can use that as your measure of inflation in the 70s because we actually don't have some of the measures that we prefer here, like median and trim mean and some of the others for that decade. But core inflation never really became very well behaved in the 70s. So when those waves hit the oil price shock of 73, 74, and again, OPEC 2 in 79 and the Iran revolution and the Soviets invading Afghanistan and pressure on food prices in the early and late 70s, when those shocks hit, underlying inflation was already too high. And that's how you got double-digit headline inflation. I guess I worry now that the camp that's declared victory over inflation is falling into a similar trap and that underlying inflation, if you measure it using the price in the middle, the median, which takes out the extremes, Mm -hmm. which makes it a nice gauge of core core, not food and energy, but literally core, or the trend in inflation, those measures that zero in on the trend or underlying inflation suggest it's running somewhere, and I'll just be very broad and say 3 to 5%, depending on your time frame and your measure. If the economy's hit with another series of shocks, energy price shocks, some uh, shock to productivity, shocks can come in lots of different forms. We always say energy, but they can come from any sector. Uh, what will happen to inflation? What will be the required response? So maybe like you, to answer my own question mm-hmm. and to get back to yours, I tend to think because growth has been very strong relative to potential and that there's persistence in growth. A strong quarter doesn't guarantee a subsequent very strong quarter, but they're highly auto, they're highly correlated, though. So I tend to think inflation will probably be the bigger problem this year. But the result of that could be recession because the Fed is forced to Keep rates higher for longer or raise them further, God forbid. And that will, of course, tip the economy into recession. But we can't forget, recession is the typical cure Mm. for inflation that's too high. That's how you stomp out excess demand. Also not noted by us, a labor market that continues to be really resilient. It's hard. where the demand's coming from. It's hard to point to any cracks in that sector of things. No matter what you look at, what looks soft right now? All Mm. the traditional measures, capacity utilization, labor market measures that you mentioned, measures of wage growth, they're all pretty robust right now. We shall see. Sorry for taking no, no. Track, that's an inter- it's an interesting point. It's really the biggest focus for this year, so it's it's important to provide that context there. Shifting gears a, a little bit and, and tying to Mark's uh, not parallel of the 1970s, but oil in the United States. We are in a much different place than we were in the 70s, where the U.S. last year saw a tremendous increase in terms of the amount of crude oil output in 2023. It was a jump of one million dollar one million dollars one million barrels a day in 2023. However, for 2024, it is anticipated that the country's, our country's crude oil output is going to increase by just 170,000 barrels a day in 2024. I hesitate to really bring up any 
idea of predictions or notions on where energy prices are going to go. I've just gotten burnt, not to say I've made huge declarations on where they're going to go, but predicting it is a fool's errand. I continue to come back to that. I'm not going to get sucked into Don't worry, this. Paul. Nobody's relying on you for this. Uh, well, they shouldn't, but, but they shouldn't attention. even rely on the experts because I'm not going to get sucked <laughs> into this BS on CNBC, which says oil at $100 is one of the quick links here. I'm not going to get sucked into reading it or speculating about that because it's just too hard to really say. But the point that was mentioned here is that there really has been a focus by these companies domestically here in the United States to return cash to shareholders. That's been a really big focus. These energy producers have gotten absolutely burned in the past during these boom and bust cycles of the energy market. As a result, there's really a lot less focus on drilling for new wells. So that part, I, I certainly am behind that the output side of things Besides having some sort of significant technical innovation, it doesn't seem like in the near term, unless we see a spike up again to $100 a barrel, everyone will stick their drills back into the ground. But it doesn't seem like we'll see a tremendous No, they're, they're, they're fighting it. This is one of those politically charged issues where people on either side blame the other guy for high energy prices. Or if you're a rabid environmentalist, you think energy prices are too low and that we're all driving too much. Well, that ain't going to change. So we either resign to prices where they are today, which is where the big producers want to keep them. Mm. They're not. They are returning capital. They're not. As you say, they're not buying more drills with it. Mm. So there really is no uh, political solution to this. I know one of uh, Donald Trump will say, I'm going to free up uh, federal land everywhere for drilling. Ain't nobody going to drill. They've already told us this. You can go look at their recent. uh, You can go look at recent uh, 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 press conferences with the with the financial a press and analysts that cover these sectors, CEOs in these sectors are telling us we don't want prices to come down. I'm not sure there's a lot that can be, if you're in the energy prices seem too high, I'm tired of paying close to $3 a gallon for gasoline. There's there's not much of a political solution there, it seems to me, based on what the actual heads of energy producing companies are saying. Uh, not much of a political remedy. No, they finally learned from from past mistakes. It, at least it seems like for the moment. The increase that I was mentioning there, the hundred seventy thousand dollars. Uh, I keep saying dollars. One hundred seventy thousand barrels a day in twenty twenty four will be the smallest since twenty sixteen. So uh, it certainly is going to be much less on the supply side of things than we've seen in but past. But we're, we're producing too. at a record though, right? We're over thirteen we million barrels a day. Yeah, it is. We are. It, it really is important to note that the Permian basin which is west texas to southeast new mexico has accounted for almost all of our oil output growth since the pandemic last year the u.s produced 13 million barrels a day which would be a record high and more than any other country um, as per the wall street journal here so it's not as if we're not producing this article is just emphasizing that we're not going to increase production as much as we did last year that we're slowing a little bit perhaps making us a little bit more susceptible to any OPEC uh, impact, but I caution against really making uh, a significant prediction there. One solution people may argue is driving electric vehicles. I'm just kidding. I don't think that's going to uh, to solve the oil demand side of things, but we're going to take a quick break here on the Financial Exchange, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the world's biggest electric vehicle market is slowing in addition to the United States market. That's right after this break. Breaking business and financial news first throughout the day, only here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Miss any of the show? Catch up at your convenience by visiting FinancialExchangeShow.com and clicking the on-demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows. This is your home for the latest business and financial news in New England and around the country. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Even the world's biggest electric vehicle market is slowing down. China's government is urging car makers to expand overseas as uh, BYD, which is the biggest electrical electric vehicle maker in the world. They surpassed Tesla last year as the top global seller. It's heavily subsidized by China, and there's now encouragement from the Chinese government to expand operations outside of just China in order hmm. to service other parts of the world because domestic demand in China has slowed down a bit. BYD is able to make these cars extremely affordable. The hang-up with electric vehicles has been the price tag associated with them. There is a uh, BYD's cheapest car sells for around $11,000 in China. This has put a tremendous amount of pressure on Tesla for the subsidies that China is providing BYD. It's made Tesla really note that it's had slower growth this year, particularly in China, because the government is subsidizing these incredibly cheap vehicles. In general, the electric vehicle market finds itself at a really interesting point. All that we heard talk about last year from auto manufacturers here, Ford and GM, was how they were going to pour billions of dollars into developing their electric vehicle production capabilities. And a lot of those automakers, such as GM and Ford, have really pumped the brakes, pun intended, on the amount of expansion in that space because the demand mark just really hasn't been there. And there's continued concerns that I have on electric vehicles, and I'm sure many other listeners do too, on range anxiety and the infrastructure in place to service these electric vehicles. Yeah, I don't need range, range anxiety. I'm trying to cut back on anxiety. <laughs> no, but it's a pain. And when you lose power, which I do for some reason all too frequently and, and rent the more I live, um, I wonder, what if I drove electric? What mm. if I were in the middle of charging and I had to go to work or I had a medical event and needed to drive myself somewhere and needed to drive somebody else in relation to a medical event. These uh, uh, these uh, crazy outlier situations crop up in the crevices of my mind. And, and you need a gas backup. Why we committed to electric and not hybrid, a proven technology that doesn't. Uh, that, that that doesn't beget range anxiety is is just beyond me. To go all in on any one technology, history teaches, I think, is a is a mistake. It's noble. It's a noble goal. But we've got hybrid, and it doesn't have all the attendant uh, drawbacks. Well, Ford and GM have always been strong stewards of their capital, so I'm sure that they're doing <laughs> a very good job of allocating their resources properly. But all jokes aside... Toyota, I give them a heck of a lot of a credit because they were the ones yeah. who emphasized what Mark just mentioned, that they said, gee, we're not going to go all the way in here because I made the analogy last year that the other auto manufacturers were shoving all their poker chips right in the middle of the table. They were betting on the electric vehicle market to be their area of growth, and Toyota didn't. They got criticized for it, but they really said, we're going to take a more measured approach and focus a little bit more on the hybrid side of things. And so far, heading into this year, 
it may have paid off so far that bet. And also the other point that I make is that story in Chicago regarding electric vehicles during the uh, cold snap that we saw over the last month or so really hit home to me this idea that with extreme temperatures from the Midwest uh, region, it's just very difficult to sometimes get enough power to charge your car or it will really shorten the amount of time that your car will have range for. And that concerned me incredibly to have, you'd need a garage that's well temperature monitored just, in order you know, to do it. Paul, I don't understand the goal. If there's a quantifiable goal, and there is in terms of emission reduction, forget about whether or not you agree with human-caused global warming. It appears to be happening, and mm -hmm. we may be contributing to it. Sure. Now, conservatives like me can either get on board with good solutions like nuclear power and flexible, environmentally friendly solutions that are market-driven, not government-driven, or we can sit there with our head in the, heads in the sand and let the left dominate this conversation. Forgive me for a little political diatribe, but I'm frustrated with the lack of contributions on the political right to solutions to global warming. It's time to step up. Mm. And there are good, again, market-oriented solutions to this, one of which is letting consumers decide which they want, electric or hybrid, or just tiny cars like me. I drive a compact car and I get ridiculed probably and I feel insecure as a result but it's not uh, it's the emissions are uh, modest to say the least so it, it has to be as, as, as John McCain once said an all of the above type approach and why as you just put it Paul we'd put all our chips on EV with all its obvious drawbacks is is beyond me it will be interesting to see how it plays out over the course of this year and what we see from the electric vehicle demand for 2024. Taking a look around at markets, we've got the Dow Jones off about 14 points, the S&P 500 off about 28 points or a little over a half percent, and the NASDAQ is off over one full point uh, percent today, 170 points. We saw some of the big market movers today. Discover Financial was announced to be acquired by Capital One. Their stock is up 14 percent on that news. We also saw Walmart trending in a positive direction, up close to about 4% off its quarterly earnings report and its acquisition of Vizio, the TV maker. Bringing the latest financial news straight to your radio every day. It's the Financial Exchange on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Find daily interviews and full shows of the Financial Exchange on our YouTube page. Like us on YouTube and get caught up on anything and everything you might have missed. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Realtors are in crisis and home buyers could be the winners. That is an article from the Wall Street Journal. In October, a Kansas, Kansas City jury delivered a verdict, a $1.8 billion verdict against the National Association of Realtors regarding the home sale fees being artificially high and them acting together in a collusive, inclusive probably not the word, but acting in a, a manner where they are conspiring against us home buyers out there. And it's a really interesting area to me 
me, Mark, because for so long, the 5% number for realtor commissions has just been set in stone. And there really is very little wiggle room on that percentage fee. Sometimes you can get brokers to take it down a little bit if you have a relationship or to get a deal closed. But that five has been very standard for a while. And coming from the financial services industry where there's been a tremendous amount of scrutiny on pricing and commissions assessed for trading purposes, which now have been pretty much eliminated at many of the major broker dealers out there. Finally, there is some pricing pressure on realtor fees. And we could see after this verdict, a elimination or much less often that 5% commission assessed. You could, but I bet you the range doesn't end up being too wide. I think financial advisory services are a good example. Everybody's pretty much in the same Mm -hmm. ballpark, but there's no collusion. And I think that is the right word. It's, and you said conspiracy. I think that's the right word too. It's a conspiracy and restraint of trade, I think is the way the original uh, anti-monopoly act referred to it. But uh, historians in the audience will correct me if I'm Wrong, so they could still eyeball, you know, what others are up to and get in the ballpark without uh, st- statutory is not the right word, but a regulated by an industry body commission schedule. So we'll probably, I, I don't think it'll be a windfall, but, but there'll be more variation. Variation is probably, and, and is people the best who don't it. need services who think they know everything, mm-hmm. uh, like I used to before I realized I knew nothing about, you know, buying a house, uh, when I when I did it almost 20 years ago now, and I probably did benefit from the help of a realtor, but people who think they know everything, like I used to think I did, might go for a... A hybrid mm, sort of approach. Yeah, so yeah, no, you, you get 2%, just you know, make sure I don't do anything illegal or that I'm yeah, not you, getting... You kind of borrow them for their lister, for their, um, their M- NMLS registration yes, or yes. something like that. I believe Mike did a similar approach to that in selling one of his homes on the show where he took on the responsibilities of selling it and uh, worked with a company that had that sort of for reduced fee. For reduced okay, so there'll be more fee. choice, I would think, like that. But for those who need hand-holding, there's the more expensive and but more intimate and intensive option. So I would, I would hope for more choice as a result of this. The National Association of Realtors, they only have about a billion dollars of assets as a group. They have 1.5 million members. As I mentioned, that verdict was 1.8 billion that was assessed against them so certainly puts them in jeopardy going forward here if you've had a successful career and want to make sure you protect your assets well now's the perfect time to create a plan that will allow you to enjoy your retirement years. Cushing and Dolan's new guide is called Back to the Basics, a complete guide to estate and asset protection plan. And in it, you'll get educated on important issues like how to avoid probate, passing your assets along to your family, and potentially eliminating your estate taxes. Don't wait. This free guide has all of the information you need to build a safe and secure estate plan that will give you peace of mind as you close in on retirement. Call 866-848-5699 right now and request your free guide today. You can also request a no-obligation consultation to review any current planning you've done. Cushing and Dolan have been helping families like yours for more than 30 years. Let them help you, too. Get their new guide called Back to the Basics today by calling 866 866- That's 866-848-5699. Or request the guide online by visiting LegalExchangeShow.com. The proceeding was paid for and the views expressed are solely those of Cushing and Dolan. Cushing and Dolan and or Armstrong Advisory may contact you offering legal or investment services. Cushing and Armstrong do not endorse each other and are not affiliated. 
The commercial real estate market continues to garner a significant amount of scrutiny as U.S. banks are scrutinized as to how much they have set aside on their books to absorb potential losses in the space. And I found this piece interesting in the Financial Times where typically where the way banks operate is they will have perhaps 10% set aside for credit card potential delinquencies that they might run into. Because if you're lending someone money on a credit card, that's not secured by anything. It's just lending money to Paul or Mark and hopefully they pay, we pay back and our credit score is sort of something that they can use as a punitive measure if we don't pay things back. So they set aside more for losses there. The commercial real estate market is different. It's secured by an asset very often. So a large office building on Federal Street in Boston has a loan against it. There is actually physical real estate that backs that loan. Typically, losses set aside for those are only about 2 to 3%. These banks are required to set aside those losses in case of a market falling apart. They go by historical averages. I think we can all agree that going by historical averages in the office market or the um, you know multifamily and others, really the office market particularly, is perhaps not the best guide when you're looking at a bank and their losses set aside. I think the good news is that these risk managers' approach was forged in the furnace of the Great Recession and the unusually high number of defaults and failures uh, of both loans and institutions that occurred then. So I would hope they're more conservative than previous generations of those that manage these risks at firms. And when they tell us, they think at big banks especially, that probably tend to be more sophisticated. Also, though, responsibility is more diffused. So you could argue with diffused accountability, they may be uh, more willing to take risks than in retrospect end up being stupid. But when they tell us they've got sufficient, they're, that they're sufficiently padded against any conceivable uh, worst case type scenario. Look, the market appears to believe it. I'm looking at the uh, S&P financials index, which is just the financials mm-hmm. component of the S&P 500. It's broken out into a lot of industry subsectors. And you can always compare a stock to its industry over a period of time and see whether it's doing, for example, better or worse uh, for what that is worth. Financials are doing fine. They're up a little more than the market as a whole year to date, despite this, this steady drumbeat of awful news from uh, the commercial property. I would ask almost to look at that less from the financials, but more from the regional banking. You know, the KBW, I think, is one of the the benchmarks out there because this commercial real estate issue that we're running into, while private equity is tied up yeah. into it, there's a lot more of an impact to something like a New York Community Bank or all the sure, companies sure. that we spoke about last year. Bank of America, they did a great example in this Financial Times piece pointing out that Brian Moynihan, the CEO, was asked about their exposure on the commercial real estate side of things. He had mentioned that $5 billion of their commercial real estate debt was in an area that could potentially be subject to a delinquency. Bank of America made $30 billion last year. They have $3.2 trillion in assets. So $5 billion, while it sounds like a big number to you and I, is minuscule if you're looking at the balance sheet impact. And that is what I've heard is the constant across all these big guys, JP Morgan, which are 
in that index that you're mentioning there, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, yeah. Goldman, Morgan Stanley, they're not as exposed to this as your regional bank may be. Yeah, that's the reason I went to that is that the article is about the biggest right. banks. Right. But to your point, uh, real estate in various pockets, geographic pockets, and thus financial institutions that are more narrowly focused getting hammered this year. Oh, yeah. Biggest banks, though, appear to be immune appear to, to be it. chastened uh, to have been chastened by the lessons of 2008. We're going to take a break here on the financial exchange. When we come back, we'll be doing a little bit of stack roulette. That's right after this. Business and financial news affecting the markets and your wallet. We've got it all straight from Wall Street right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Financial Exchange Show podcast drops every day on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. You're listening to the Financial Exchange Radio Network. All of us at the Financial Exchange are truly thankful for our partnership with the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. You can help our great American heroes, too, by making a donation today. Your gifts can support the Veteran Advancement Program, which offers permanent and affordable housing opportunities for veterans and their dependents. Learn more at DAV5K.Boston. The DAV5K Boston is presented by Veterans Development Corporation. All right, time for a little bit of stack roulette. Mark, I will let you bat lead off here. Thanks, Paul. Wall Street Journal has an article, a column actually, by uh, preeminent finance columnist Jason Zweig. Title of the article is, uh, title of the commentary is, a fund with a 95% yield, 94.9 actually, I'm rounding up. You guessed it, Zweig says there's a catch. I'm not going to pick on the ETF. I'll just make the general point that you shouldn't use current or distribution yield on an investment product to gauge its likely income. That could be the result of that distribution yield or what it's recently paid out could be the result of special factors, one-offs. Look at total return. Mm -hmm. Look at SEC yield, as Zweig says in the article. Or if you're looking at a bond fund, look at yield to maturity. Mm. More selective, narrower measures could, again, reflect one-offs that are not indicative of an investment product's potential. And if you're not sure how to interpret something, and we in the investment uh, uh, business have to check once in a while. I, I do anyway to make sure I'm interpreting uh, measures that investment managers report uh, correctly. Uh, Google it. Find a reputable site that covers the concept. Or ask a professional. They'd be happy, I'm sure, to help. Mm. The rise and fall of Drizzly, one of Boston's great startup stories. Uh, Drizzly was sold to Uber for $1 billion last, I believe it was last March that that sale was closed. They are now going to be shuttering the doors 
on Drizzly later this year, I believe starting April 1st. It was founded by a BC senior in 2012 with the simple premise of why couldn't he have beer delivered to his dorm room as a senior at Boston College. It went on to have tremendous success breaking into a really fragmented business, which is connecting with all local liquor stores, which are run by mom and pop, just all sorts of different uh sort of setups that you have there. They were able to link up with these liquor stores and have their inventory posted on a mobile site. But now Uber will be taking in that functionality in-house. And there's questions as to really what the acquisition meant for Uber. Was it a case that they just wanted to grab the liquor store uh, build business owners on their platform and then just sort of put this out to pasture? It's a very difficult business to to operate in. The delivery space in general, really low margins, a lot of need for human capital. It's a tough business. It's certainly successful for these guys who, who did it locally and sold out for a billion dollars. But um, the 168 employees of Drizzly will be out of work effective on, on April 1st. So here. they bought a competitor and then they killed it. They yes. bought a potential a, comp- a potential competitor in a space they maybe wanted to get into. Space that they wanted to get into. Instacart and uh, DoorDash, they do a little bit of the alcohol delivery, but not really a ton of it. It is so difficult because the way that it has to be sold is through the employees of the liquor store. I believe it's not as if you can just have an Instacart employee uh, delivering it though it may it may vary from from place to place but uh, it was a very hard market to break into for uh, for drizzly here so that was uh, I guess a, a sad local story to see but they they did cash out with a nice billion dollar sale and uber you just wonder really uh, where they're gonna go they finally turned some sort of profit last year after I saw the total number of cumulative losses years and years of losing money they finally made a, a slight it's, profit. it's funny how hard it is to make money in transport I'll just be very broad general and say transportation whether it's airlines yep. railroads rental car companies this capital costs so much money to keep in service that Profitability is, I'm not going to say rare, because and I'll just reveal my ignorance here and say I really don't know how consistently profitable some of them are, but the airlines are chronically unprofitable. It's it's not quite boom bust, but uh, very hard to consistently generate, say, free cash flow if you're running an airline. Similarly with railroads, and it, it sounds like the same challenges exist in these other very capital-intensive Exactly. They gave a great example areas. in here of one of the liquor stores that pushed back against the initial adaptation of Drizzly, where you have your delivery driver deliver a bottle of wine to the north end that's 15 bucks, and he's gone for an hour because he hits rush hour traffic. You know, how you know, efficient is that from a capital expect perspective to have a driver out there for the, it's great for us as the end consumer to benefit from it. But same thing with DoorDash. If you look at a delivery order on the food that you get from a local restaurant, they're pocketing a couple bucks if they're lucky on mm. that order. It's a really razor thin Amazon margin. Same day prime too, though. Don't you scratch your Jever? You guys ever use it? Just like yes. opportunistically? Yeah, I've something okay. on the same day. Guys yeah. always got a much nicer car than I have. <laughs> And I'm always like one of four stops over a very broad geographic area. And you just scratch your head and say, how are these people making money? AWS is paying for it. Their cloud services business is paying for it. You mean subsidized? Yes. Yeah. Because so it's the cloud- loss making, but you get you get scale 
and you get everyone on your platform and you get that uh, annual fee for Prime to to fund it. But really, it's the the subsidy from the cloud services business, which margins are 60 or 70 percent. You How have that can other they do that like Prime showing this is a totally different business line, but Prime showing advertisements now. Mm. Well, you get enough people on your platform. That's how you, you get scales. You, <laughs> you lose money, but then you get all. How your do we make what volume? Volume and advertisers. Well, okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Hey, hey what do I? They've I, done all right. I have I no guess. idea. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Financial Exchange. But we'll be back with you again tomorrow morning at ten o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.